Hi, you're listening to Neil Before Pod. I'm Houston Stevenson. I just had a great podcast. And if you're about to tune in, I have been in a few movies coming up. You may have seen me in Arrow. You may have seen me in Disney's Descendants or Netflix's Project MC Squared, along with a few Hallmark and Lifetime movies coming out where I play a vicious murderer in A Predator Returns, which is the next movie from A Predator's Obsession. So if you're interested in horror films and scary dudes and nice, fun conversation with this wonderful Scott that I'm virtually sitting across from right now, Tune on in. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that would prefer to stick to one timeline, but just can't seem to. I'm your host Craig and I'm here to discuss the latest Marvel Cinematic Television Universe offering, Loki. To join me with this, I have pruned the finest variants from across various timelines to have a chat with me about this. Aaron, welcome to this universe. Hi. And coming from a different timeline... One where he is perhaps reptilian in nature. It's Isaac. Maybe I am. I'll check one of my eight arms to see if they're reptilian. Eight arms? Wow. What's going on? This is Timelines are crazy. So yeah, Loki is a show that was on Disney+. Plus. It is now finished. It did six episodes and then finished. Getting a second season, which we'll come to at some point. So let's just start with our spoiler-free take on the series as a whole. Aaron, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that I liked this series, but I'm not sure I understood it. But I think that will be the conversation that we have throughout all of your points, probably. Okay, that's good. This is a support group then for understanding or lack of understanding. We'll maybe enrich you in some way by the end of it. Yeah, I need to go back to the sort of Legion support groups that we did, that sort of thing, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite as complicated or as, as loony as Legion was, I don't think. It wasn't as strange, no, no. Although I wonder, actually, having looked at the internet and there's left to be in the conversations as well, if the stuff that wasn't in there in Loki was for us to work out. And actually, I'm all right with that. So maybe I just need to be doing more homework. Well, we'll get to your specifics on why you didn't understand it very soon. Isaac, what were your spoiler-free thoughts on this whole thing? I loved it. I think this might be Marvel's best property so far. Haven't you said that about almost everything they've done on Disney Plus? I remember you said the same about WandaVision two episodes in. I would have never said that about... I'm sure it was like after the second episode you said this might be their best thing. Yeah, WandaVision was Marvel's best thing until Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier was not Marvel's best thing. Okay, fair play. So yeah, it's a short spoiler-free thought. Fair enough. I liked it. I had issues, but I liked it. And the issues didn't get in the way of me liking it. It's the same token as WandaVision for me. I was really on board until the final episode and then I feel like it crapped out a bit in the final episode. Falcon Winter Soldier was consistent throughout and its finale made sense, but Loki's finale left a lot to be desired. So we'll get to that. The Eternal Promise, we will get to that. 
So without further ado, should we descend into the depths of the spoiler-filled bureaucracy, the spoiler apocalypse? Climb through the wavy door into the spoiler universe. Spoiler universe, yeah. Spoiler apocalypse. Hide in the spoiler apocalypse. I don't know. We'll do it. Yeah. Your saviour is here! Right, let's just start with our lead, our titular character, the god of mischief himself, Loki where we pick up from Avengers Endgame, where he gets a hold of the Tesseract, he disappears off, and is arrested by a mysterious organisation almost immediately, and meets up with Mobius, a.k.a. Owen Wilson, or Owen Wilson, a.k.a. Mobius, and gets to watch some Marvel films, basically. That's what he does for the first episode. He sits and watches some Marvel films. Aaron, what were your thoughts on splintering Loki off from the version that died in Infinity War? into this earlier version that developed along different lines. Well, I think that's almost what they didn't do, though, is it? Because as he was watching TV about himself, they had to quickly catch us up, such that the Loki here was then the Loki we recognised. So we only had a little while with him, I think, before he has his revelation and sees what's going to happen to him. And I was pleased enough with how they did it actually i think it was disturbing enough for him moving enough for him to bring him on to the loki that we know but i don't think we had a different loki for very long but to be perfectly honest i'm still not sure an audience would have accepted that yeah it's a difficult one because the whole selling point of the show is you like loki and you like how he was the last time you saw him so we need to get him there very very quickly and if they had to do it, I did like the way they did it. A joke that they sat around and watched Marvel movies, but he saw all the key things. Especially the way he grieved over his mother's death was very well done. And realising that he had a measure of responsibility, or the version of him that is quote-unquote supposed to be, had a measure of responsibility in what happened to her. And then he doesn't quite get the full picture as well. He sees Thanos kill him, but he doesn't see Ragnarok or anything that leads up to that. Or at least not that the show depicts maybe he does watch it all and they just don't show it it does seem like he only gets a bit of a snapshot of his life or the other life that he could have lived and should have lived well he gets his life they don't show ragnarok because it's not important to his life he didn't cause a problem he didn't set any of that up really in the same way as he has a direct connection to his father and watching his father pass on will directly affect him. Seeing his own death will directly affect him. He caused his own mother's death. It directly affects him. So they showed you what he needed to see. It also sets up this whole idea of the Lokis get a chance to better themselves only in such a cruel way as if they do take that chance, it's immediately snatched off them. And I guess because he's in the TVA at that point, you can't have an excess event in the middle of the TVA because you've already been taken out. So that is one thing that I did understand, at least in terms of the rules, as we'll put them. But that rule aside, he sees what he needs to see. And it would be impactful seeing all of those particular events. There's not much more that's going to disturb you beyond those that he saw. Yeah, and there was almost a bit of playing to the lowest common denominator aspect to that first episode, although there's an element of that as in the whole, we need to hammer home that this is a different Loki, this is a different version of Loki. We need to make sure that you're aware that he doesn't have these experiences and can't have these experiences, so we have to take him on a different path at least in terms of events, maybe not in terms of character, because as you say, he catches up to an approximation of the version that we understand from his last appearance. 
because people like that, I guess. That was an interesting choice to sit and just play all those clips from various things and sort of interrogate his role in the MCU up to a point as well. I thought that was interesting. The Here's what you've done. Here's what your purpose is, at least as far as we see it. And there's that meta commentary on this is the purpose that the writers have given you in this universe. <laughs> this is what you exist to do. I like that. And even the sacred timeline, which I'll get onto a bit later, is a metaphor for the MCU in and of itself. So it was an interesting start, I found. He's a good character that you can mesh around with. I remember like the first ever podcast I was on with you was like the first Avengers one. Well, I just kept saying how much he kind of wasted Loki because he didn't play with the fullness of such a character. Because he is a god of tricks and stories and lies. Whereas they pulled the 2012 Loki out and like you said, they have to sort of speed him up to where we are. And also, just in case, I suppose, if people are only casually watching the Marvel movies and haven't seen any for a while, it's also like another way of saying, here's what happened with him if you missed the last couple of movies or whatever, so we could serve that role as well. It's a little bit, not clunky, it's a little slow, but it was quite an interesting character destruction, a little bit of a torture, I guess. Because if you were shown, oh yeah, here's your life in a matter of minutes, these are the big impactful things, these are your failures, this is how you die. That'd really break you down if you just watched it. You're soon pulled into this weird office and a guy just sits you down and just shows you, this is this, this is the people you lose, this is how you end. <laughs> yeah, it's a very brutal start in that time. Obviously we grew to, I keep calling him Morpheus, what's Mobius? We grew to, everyone loves Mobius and wants to see him on his jet ski now, but <laughs> in episode one, it was just like this awful weirdo in a whole world of faceless, awful, dull, weird bureaucrats. So as a way of getting everyone into the story, it was quite a brutal way of doing it. Quite an, and obviously Tom Hiddleston is amazing. Here in the bit where he's in the time loop torture and all this self-hate and all this how useless and terrible he is. And he's always sort of on the back foot having to defend himself. But also again with the same character of Loki, is can never be trusted. It could be. You know, I was always messaging you, but I always assumed that as it was going on, as we were watching along, that there was some sort of ulterior thing going on. Which is obviously credit to the show, because that's what they wanted. It's designed around a mystery, and it's designed around speculation. So yeah, I thought it was a great a new way of treating the character. And you touched on something there that the show actually addresses, the whole idea that, well, your words were they wasted Loki a bit in the MCU because he doesn't do the tricks, doesn't do the mischief. And Mobius says that. I was about to call him Morpheus as well. And then Morbius... Which are... Yeah, it's either Morpheus or Morbius. Or, for the purpose of recording, we can just call him Owen Wilson. <laughs> Owen Wilson, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's who he is. Well, he doesn't say wow, so it's not really Owen Wilson. There'll be a variant out there that says wow. But anyway, so the mischief thing, and Mobius says that, you're not the god of mischief. Tell me about any mischief you've done. And then you get the D.B. Cooper thing, which is a funny little aside on its own, but I'm going to bring it up now. And Aaron, we discussed this in one of our conversations that we didn't record because those do happen, believe it or not. He talks about how he was young and Thor dared him, but it happened in the 70s. So in the 70s, Loki is not that much younger than he is now based on his lifespan. So it doesn't really work as an explanation. And there didn't need to be an explanation. I don't know why I'm getting so worked up about it. It just annoyed me. That, that was the explanation. It's like a YouTube prank. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we're going to steal money off a plane. It's kind of a game, but it wasn't really a Loki-ish. It wasn't too much of a heist. Well, I suppose it was a heist, but there was no motive other than he just owed Thor, apparently, Midgardian money. Yeah, but 1970 to 2012 is nothing yeah. in terms of age for Loki. It's nothing. Are they in the thousands? Yeah, he's like 10,000 years old or something like that. Yeah, so it's just like... Yeah, it's a few weeks. 
Oh, yeah, Fortnite-ish. Yeah. It just annoyed me. It didn't need to be explained. Why did you do this? It's like, I felt like it. That's all I had to say. I think the funny thing is it's so easily fixed. If you, for example, say, I was in a drinking game with Thor right now. We got hammered. It was a bet. I lost. Or I won, for that matter. <laughs> Whichever way around you want to do it. And it's one of those ones where you can also explain it if you think about it. And I've always been a proponent of you shouldn't have to think about it. But if you want to, you can say he was lying to Mobius. It wasn't something he was doing when he was a teenager. It was simply a lie. And he just didn't want to tell Mobius the truth. And that's fine because he's a trickster god. But it's one of those things, and it's really early on, and I like to see these things really early on because I need to know if the writers are going to engage the plot force or not. And if they do, I usually hate everything they do. Funny thing is, I think they did go with the plot force here, and I'm finding myself strangely unable to hate them for it, and I can't <laughs> quite figure out why. I usually come onto these podcasts with, here's a problem of mine, I want you to solve it, and this is the one that I've got for now. But I think they set their stall out early on with this to say, don't get hung up on the rules. We've not thought them through, not because we have no intention of doing this, not because we're intentionally doing a bad job, but we are declaring early on that hard sci-fi rules are not what this show is about. Don't look for them because we are going to give you a drama we're not going to give you sci-fi. And if they set out their stall that way, then it's one of those things where I feel like I just have to say, I either accept this or I turn off. And that's the only fair way of doing it. I can't expect them to do everything how I would want it to be done. I totally get that. So early on for me, I think these people said, this is a drama-led plot. Things will happen because it will be emotional, emotive, whatever. And that sort of heavy sci-fi angle is not suited to Loki. Why would you even want that? You might want it from the mystery that is who is behind Falcon and Winter Soldier. You want to put together the steps and do it yourself and say, I guess the right person. But in Loki, it's a different thing. I feel that's Marvel's method or the MCU method. It's sort of character-driven drama and the rules of their sci-fi are kind of in flux. The other example being the like Guardians of the Galaxy. We have the Ravagers and the, what they call the police, Nova Corps. There's not too much world building in there it's all sort of like oh yeah here's the characters that exist in it and here's how they interact with it so i guess a guardians i suppose maybe also like when it comes to like the magic the wand or doctor strange ones it's not too much of a hard rules system <laughs> it's kind of like you're in for the characters and things can flux the rules can be flux same with the race that is the grandmaster and the collector and those guys they bring in these big sci-fi concept worlds and they can sort of explain it away in a sentence oh yeah these guys are space pirates these are magic people He's a space police. And here we have the DB Cooper thing was a little aside. It was just like a little fun Family Guy-esque aside joke. And I think later on, Aaron, after you said like, oh yeah, maybe he is lying to Owen Wilson. Because I was thinking, they do it again in the time loop where he says to Sif, is like, oh yeah, cut your hair off. I thought it's funny. Where it's just been beaten down. It's like, that's kind of dreams more true. There's no reason behind what he's doing. I was bored. 
I thought this would be a good idea. More of an impulsive, Loki-driven activity, which we see throughout the show with how easily Loki variants backstab each other, how easily Sylvie has her mindset on certain jobs. He's very impulsive, not overly concerned with consequences sort of guard. That really works as well when you think about it. One of the reasons I didn't get hung up on this was for what I've just described, but the other reason I think is because of what you're describing there. It's reasonable to assume that this character is always lying and that he never wants anybody to know his real motives. So it's possibly true that right at the start, he was not capable of telling us the truth. And that goes to his end revelation. Why isn't this going to work out for us? Because I can't be trusted. And if you take it that way, it is actively well written. And they don't explain it to you. And we've always said in anything we're doing, we don't want anybody to explain at every point what's going on. And this show actually, I think, is got a lot more to it than I was maybe originally thinking at the start when I was wanting everything to be explained to me. And I had to check myself and said, why? Well, you don't like that. And I was doing some of these YouTube video watches around the internet. And we can discuss the things when they come up in the right order. But there are points where people on the internet have said, well, if you look at that and you compare it to this, it means a new thing. So when I actually get that perspective in my head, I have to assume that there's loads of things written into Loki that if you're saying, I hated the face value of this, it is possible that you actually need to say, well, why are you looking at the face value of a show about a trickster god? I think it does actually ask you to reconsider it. I wasn't that clever at the start. I think I more embraced this is a drama-led plot at the start. But all the stuff Isaac's talking about, I think I was able to embrace that on reflection later on and think, no, there's more going on here. And it's just not been slapped in my face. And actually, that's a good thing. I suppose from what we've been saying here, the D.B. Cooper thing is almost a show in microcosm. It's the some of the things that go on here, you just kind of have to accept them. And as long as it makes enough sense at the point you're watching it then you'll be fine. You shouldn't question too much of it. But yeah, assuming that Loki is always lying, it's fair enough. We can get into Doctor Who comparisons later, but isn't that what the Doctor Who writers usually say whenever an inconsistency crops up? Just assume that the Doctor's lying about one of the things, whether it be the current thing or the old thing, we don't know, but he or she lies. It was one of those weird Stephen Moffat lies yeah. things. Like <laughs> Stephen Moffat just said whatever, and he always had this gravity on it. It's like, that doesn't mean anything. You're just saying that so you don't have to answer any questions. Yeah, the Doctor lies. That's bad writing then to me, I think, because <laughs> I'm not sure the Doctor has been established as a Doctor of lying. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't watched in a while. I think in the modern series, he or she has a difficult relationship with the truth, but this isn't a Doctor Who podcast, so let's not go too far into it. One of the more interesting things I found about Loki was what his mind is open to. And this happens very early on as well. It's the idea that he used to think he understood the universe. He used to think there was a hierarchy and he used to think he was very high up in that hierarchy because he considers himself a god that deserves to rule over whoever, everybody. Everybody that's not him, he deserves to rule them. And then he finds out that the Infinity Stones, which were considered to be the biggest power in the universe, are paperweights locked in a drawer. Not even locked in a drawer, just stuffed in a drawer. 
in the TVA. And, oh, yeah, we get loads of these, whatever. I don't know. We just use them to stop our papers from blowing away in this musty office. And it's the idea that this is the real power. And it's the way he has to reevaluate everything that he's believed about the way the universe works in one moment. I really liked that. And I really liked how he spun from that. He was thinking, okay, well, I want to control this power. I want to overthrow these timekeepers, whoever they are. I want to reclaim free will. And then it's the idea that he's never been living freely when everything his life has been about has been about making his own choices. When it turns out he was just playing to a script all this time up until this point. I really liked that revelation. It was wonderfully played by Tom Hiddleston when he just stood there and thought, this is the real power. Crazy. I'd love to see, I know a lot of people are asking for, oh, can we get a final Captain America film or series where we see Chris Evans return the Infinity Stones and then everyone lines up to the IMAX at midnight, film begins and Chris Evans just walks in, chucks him in the drawer and leaves and that's the film and the credits are just like an hour and a half long. <laughs> so there you go, chucks him back in the drawer. All those disparate timelines have been pruned. They don't exist anymore. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Just drops him off in a bag, like a paper bag and then just goes, I'm out. We're off to the 40s. See ya. But that's that inconsistency you were talking about, Aaron, because... In Endgame, they said you have to return these because it ruins those universes that we created by going to get these things. And then you see the TVA just obliterating universes liberally whenever something deviates from, quote-unquote, the plan. But then they just try and say, oh, no, what the Avengers have done was the plan. There's actually a third reason why I didn't try and connect too heavily to I need to understand this because when I was originally watching the first episode of Loki, I'm thinking about Captain America and I'm thinking about the Infinity Stones going back and I'm trying to place everything according to the, again, quote, rules that were set up in the films. And we talked about this in the film podcasts. They could be consistent within their own film, never mind anything else. Yeah. Don't try and work them out because the director and the producers already thought different things were going on. And that's not necessarily a problem if you can resolve it internally, consistently anyway. But I don't think you could. And we all just agreed not to look that way again. And that was fine. But then when I'm coming up with the Loki, that beast reared its head again. And I was trying to figure out, right, if he has to put the stones back, why doesn't he have to put that Loki back? Because the universe is just going to explode. Because he's managed to put all these stones back in the right place. But there's no Loki to become the Loki and die at the point that I know he must die, that he has to see himself die. And I'm just going round and round in circles. You have to put everything back in place. And I couldn't get an answer. And I'm chucking it on our Discord and this, that and the other. And we get to the point where I look at it online and the producers of Loki said, yeah, we had to change the rules from Avengers because they didn't work. So we just made a new rule. <laughs> what? Okay, fine. In that case, I have to admit, there's no point getting hung up on the rules because I don't even know what they are. And you've already agreed the previous ones were rubbish. I don't know what that means for the new ones, but let's just all agree to walk away. So all this stuff we're thinking about, what if you did this? What if you did that? You kind of just have to leave it behind. They've started again. They have started completely with all of that stuff again. I need to come back to talk about some of those rules actually later on. Are they ruled or are they not? Bring it back up. It'll come up, don't worry. But I suppose one of the potential answers to this issue around why didn't this Loki have to get put back to where he belonged is because in the final episode you see that he is part of that script that Kang or He Who Remains or whatever the hell you want to call him is also following. 
So it's that determinism situation again, isn't it? It's that all this is supposed to happen, quote unquote. Who's decided that? We still don't have the answer to that. But at the same time, I don't know. Well, actually, you just explained exactly why Loki didn't have to go back with Captain America because Kang made it fine. This comes back to, again, this thought about if you try and analyze it and you can't get the answer, maybe you just haven't seen enough yet. Because I'm actually okay with that particular explanation. Why did it not cause the universe, the multiverse even, to completely melt? Because Kang said, I've got infinite power and I flick a switch and it's fine now. Okay, I have to go with it. That is actually the rule you've established. I think that's fine. That actually is internally consistent. Yeah. And being made to wait for answers until the final episode or a promised second season, I suppose, is fine. We'll get onto my issues with the finale itself later. Again, the eternal promise. We'll get to that, which seems to be the eternal promise of the MCU as well when it comes to these projects. We're not going to talk about it now, but we'll do it later, we promise. Just keep watching. Yeah, but they have got set up. How many years have they been going now? 10, 11 years. They are setting up decade-long plots. Surely 12 it's years. okay not to resolve everything straight away. No, for sure. I wanted a bit more, but we'll get on to yeah. why that is a bit later on. We'll stick with Loki for now, though, and, and the wacky adventures he goes on. You have him interacting with Owen Wilson, Mobius, which is something I always enjoyed. I thought their dynamic, their back and forth was brilliant. And I really liked the early stuff about hiding in apocalypses. That's how we track down Lokis. And I really liked how the show kept changing what I was expecting from it. Because from the trailers, it looks like he's going to be joining this organization that polices the timeline and he's going to be working with them. And I guess at some point he'll try and overthrow them. And then at the end of the second episode, he escapes with Sylvie. And I thought, okay, he's just going to be creating mischief throughout the timeline and be chased by the TVA. And that's how you get the president Loki and whatever else. And then in the third episode, it was something completely different and so on. So I liked how it kept surprising me in that regard. You know, lots of comparisons have been made from it to Doctor Who and how we'd have, especially in the old days, we'd have these long serialised stories where they have an overall not arc but like a premise it's kind of similar occasionally they'd have to just dip in and out to keep people's attention so i'm trying to think of an example this one we have loki and the tva and finding out who the tva is so episode three it slows right down to have a real chat between loki and sylvie and then we have episode five of the planet of the lokis and it keeps it fresh and it keeps it paced nice and speedily along. I think one thing I really like about both this and WandaVision is the comic books work in a serialised format because they are monthly, like monthly issues. So using that same episodic system works really well because then you can have these sort of arcs, but you have way more time to play with the possibilities. Obviously in the film, you have to get to a solution within two, two and a bit hours. Whereas here, you can weave away a bit. The B plots or the C plots don't have to be totally separate you can just put the brakes on and explore a different bit or you can go weird similar to in one division when we we had a whole episode that was just like kicking off together here's just the military dealing with it it's fun with these shows that there's a bit more narrative freedom you don't have to follow a straight line specifically obviously loki did did it yeah no he did follow a straight line mostly yeah pretty much Every episode is distinct, I think is what you're saying. Every episode is something of its own. It's distinct while giving us breadcrumbs to the main story, but having a different style or showcasing either more character or more world stuff that they can do is yeah, a nice sort of fresh way of doing it. It makes the show feel bigger without actually having to introduce too much stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that. You mentioned Sylvie. Let's just get on to Sylvie at the moment. I think the 
key relationship in this show is between Loki and Sylvie, arguably Loki and Mobius as well. It definitely shifted to Loki and Sylvie. Yeah. And Sylvie being, at least as far as we know, another Loki at the moment, she might not be because Loki's lying. Yeah. I guess, Isaac, what did you think of Sylvie as a character based on how she was introduced and how she developed? She was, not say unrecognisable as a Loki, but she was a very focused Loki. She had the goals. Her purpose was very clear. And it's unlike, well, I say the Lokis we've seen at that point, we've already seen Tom Hiddleston, but now we've seen loads. It was a really good idea. If you're going to introduce a variant, you want it to be almost a polar opposite. But I think maybe the could have done you know there's a scene where it was on the train where Loki's singing the Asgardian songs and he's drinking and I think she says a line that's like I'm as hedonistic as anyone else but really it's just sort of that line which I also enjoy tricks and stuff but what we got from her determined laser focus on doing everything is planned and ahead these are bombs to distract people so I can get to this and get to this and and then when we see in the finale, there was no way of stopping her. She was like, I'm going to kill this guy. Again, they say, yeah, don't care about the consequences. I've been trying to kill this guy for ages. This is what I want to do. Yeah, it was very different Loki. It was very fun, well, variant to the character we know. I think they had enough. Because obviously she enchants, that was her, I want to say weapon, but that was her method of doing stuff. Opposite to Loki, who simply just lies and sinks on his feet. She was much more magic focused, which I'm assuming... And again, with the name Sylvie, I'm assuming was another red herring thing because another theory that was passing around is that she was the Thor villain Chantress. I think that was just another red herring thing. It was part of the mystery, but it wasn't separate from the character of Loki. It worked within the rules of Loki. Loki's canon chant takes over Doctor, its dad, and Hawkeye in Avengers. Although that was the Mind Stone more than him. Oh, yeah, true. But take your point. It's a, a modus operandi of him. But the thing with Sylvie is they lean into the tragedy of her character quite heavily. As in, she was taken from her home when she was very young. She doesn't know why. Yeah. She never found out why. But once she got old enough, she went on a bitter crusade against the TVA and she's done a lot to bring them down. So that focus is because she's so driven because she has nothing to go back to and she just wants revenge. And some of the more yeah. interesting stuff I found was about how she manipulated Loki. A lot of people, certainly that I spoke to, dismissed, in a way, the Lamentous episode because it is... Just this self-contained plot where nothing happens in the grander scheme of things. But I think it's important in terms of establishing the dynamic between these two characters because you need that to carry you through the rest of the show. And the way she gets him to open up about stuff while she gives him nothing, that's another form of enchantment in a way because she's the one getting the information. And Loki's just all too happy to disclose it despite the fact that he says, no, I don't tell anybody anything. So you never shut up about yourself, Loki. Calm yourself. Yeah, I think the show was the strongest in Lamentis and I can't remember what episode five was called. I was called it Planet of the Lokis. Journey into Mystery. Oh yeah, Journey into Mystery. They were the full-on Loki character episode. So obviously yeah, Lamentis was Loki and Sylvie. And it was just, this is what a Loki is. We'll get into, this is what makes a Loki. And then obviously in Journey into Mystery, we have multitudes of Lokis and they've all got the same core no matter the differences in various goals or methods or appearances the Loki's a Loki of the whole show they're the highlights for me just Loki's chatting about themselves pretty much just yeah the real breakdown of what makes this character this character yeah and I do think Sylvie is the MCU version of the Enchantress it wouldn't be the first time they'd taken a character combined it with another character to make their own version of something if you look at Hela and in, in Ragnarok she's not anything like her comic book counterpart really She's a mixture of a few characters. 
in the way that she is and her origin and stuff. So I think this Sylvie will essentially be that. I think once the dust settles, whenever that is, she'll maybe rebrand herself and become known as the Enchantress because she specifically said that she wanted to cast off the Loki label early on. Yeah, she's very eager to not be Loki. Yeah, and that's interesting. What she wants out of life and what she wants out of the universe and what she wants out of the TVA and everything is very different to what Loki wants, but they draw this connection anyway. And the fact is they set up a romantic subplot between a man and his variant is a weird sort of thing. And I'll make a point here that I can't take credit for because I moonlight over on podcast 616 and I guested on the fifth episode of the season and was talking to the host Carpenter and she herself is gender fluid, bisexual and a number of other things that I'm forgetting. But she's very much in the world that the show is rubbing up against. And she makes a point about Sylvie being, well, she's the only female Loki for a start. We don't see any other. So it's almost like the show is trying to tell you. In President Loki's crowd, there is one more. Well, right, okay. She's the only one given any attention then. Yeah. But the, the point is, the show seemed to be telling you, Sylvie is special because she's a woman, and that's not why she's special. The way the show leans into it, and then they had the whole gender fluid thing. It's the classic MCU thing about teasing you with something that they never commit to. They did that with Valkyrie being bisexual. They still haven't done it. Loki being gender fluid, it appears on a form, but it never comes up. And I'm left yeah. wondering if the gender fluid thing is because they know there are female variants, but by that metric, isn't everybody gender fluid? Because assuming that we live in a multiverse, there would be a female version of me, for example. Would that make me gender fluid by the TVA metric? Well, I think just in general life, gender identity and physical gender are different. I remember there's some upset amongst people. It's in the Journey into Mystery where Tom Hiddleston's Loki asks, has any of you met a female variant of us before? Considering that they're all gender fluid, they can do that themselves. If they can change at will, that's not a real question, really. It's a lack of commitment, isn't it? We've done this, but we haven't done this. It's those two women kissing in the finale of Star Wars. (laughs) It's like, there you go. Yeah, we can easily cut this for the Chinese market, but here it is, yeah. We can cut this conversation out or this scene out. And it's the same, they canonically confirm that Loki is bisexual because he says so. And then they just kind of give you a vanilla man-woman romance. Although it's not really a romance, but they give you that. Yeah. And again, another point that Carpenter made is that Loki and Sylvie don't really know what a romantic relationship is. They don't understand what these feelings they have for each other are because they've never experienced them before. So they understand attraction. They understand, well, maybe they don't understand friendship, but they understand familial love. They understand brotherly love, they understand all that stuff, but they don't understand what their connection is. So the only way they can label it is as if it's a romantic one when it might not necessarily be. Yeah, That was a great point that Carpenter made that got me really thinking about it because it hadn't occurred to me. And I'm glad that I get to repeat it here and give her credit for it as well. I do love that he fell in love with himself. (laughs) If you're going to play with a character who is very egocentric. He wants to lord and rule and believes they are the greatest purpose. They would fall in love with themselves. Yeah, they just turned that Loki finding a way to love himself arc into an external one rather than an internal one. Yeah. And that aspect of it worked for me. The way they built that and the way that there was the genuine affection that existed between them. And there was always the question over, will one of them betray the other when the moment comes? Turns out, yes. But there was some doubt And I think Tom Hiddleston's really good at being convincing. And so is 
Sophia DiMartino, I think her name is. Yes, yeah. She's very good at that as well. So when they have those conversations about, I trust you, we're in this together, you believe them. And then when the rug pull happens, then you're like, probably shouldn't have believed them. But in the yeah. moment, you're convinced it's brilliant. The acting is excellent. Yeah, Tommy Dustin is, he's certainly up there as one of the best actors they've got for stuff because he's all in on the character and the range that he can give to it. I think he said it the last half of the show has been some of his favourite Loki stuff because he can really sink into the different, you know, you don't really get a chance to cry <laughs> as a villain in a superhero thing. So I loved Richard E. Grant's Loki. With the casting of their Lokis, they've just gone like, we just need to get the best people. Tom Hiddleston, Sophie Martino, everyone they're getting. They're just getting, let's see just what we can do with this character and you know, as much as we can do with them. That alligator? Yeah, the alligator Loki. I've seen a GIF, I've not seen so they've released like a behind the scenes Disney Plus extra. And it was just a sort of blue, cuddly toy, alligator shaped thing. You got all the people sat in like the acting chairs and there's just this blue plush doll. <laughs> Just crocodile plush doll on his chair with like alligator Loki written on it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. The props department gone like, we know there's going to be memes. We might as well. We can print alligator Loki on a chair and put a toy there. <laughs> put it on Twitter. Yeah, Loki's now canonically by. And he's had the one romance linked to Sylvie. I don't think it's too much of a problem, really. Because bi people don't have to constantly have a girlfriend and a boyfriend at the same time. To matter like, they can just because there's been princesses, there's been princes. Currently, it's Sylvie. Like I said, it would be good for the MCU to have more representation. And I think they'll definitely have to go into it soon, because otherwise, backlash and stuff. People are just going to get more and more annoyed. if you Yeah, you can't just keep teasing things. Well, what is it? There's articles around, what is your favourite first ever gay Disney character? Because there's so many of them that they claim this is the first one. I'm sure within Phase 4, they'll be like, Here's a either gay or bi or trans character. And we're not going to just mention it once and leave it. I'll have to do something properly. I'm sure when they get the X-Men, is it Iceman? Yeah. I think it was. The rumour is that they're going to lean into it with Valkyrie in oh, yeah, Valkyrie. Love and Thunder. And probably one of the Eternals. Who knows what they are? They could be anyone. And I think in terms of representation, Loki is a fluid character. And it's all good stuff. And it was really nice to see. Obviously, a shapeshifter. You can take any form of thingy he is a god of hedonism obviously it's not a choice or anything but it is very within oh, his character that's the wrong thing to say isn't it why is the right thing to say what am i talking about yeah it makes sense yeah it's not a case of saying oh yeah he's bi and then erasing it and if he said this character is gay but i'm sworn to sell it to see except for all these pictures of hot girls i have around me <laughs> which are reminding me how much that i am or whatever Aaron, what did you think of Sylvie, her backstory, her relationship with Loki and all that stuff? Well, I don't know which parts of that do you want to rediscuss, I guess. One thing that was in my head, I guess, that I will ask you is, did your friend or colleague Karen to say that Loki wasn't gender fluid? No, she didn't say that he's not gender fluid. What she said is they established that fact and they did nothing with it. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Because I was thinking that Loki is not gender fluid. I think it's just simply is not done. I don't even think they say it in the show, do they, at all? Isn't it just something the marketing team just come out and said afterwards? It's on a piece of paper in, the, I believe, the first episode where they're filling out a form and it's gender fluid. Was that his gender or was that his sexuality, though? It was gender. It was definitely gender. Yeah. It's not the end credits when you have the passing over various stuff. It appears earlier in the episode as well. It's just such a funny thing to put in, though. It really does feel like the marketing team putting it in for the benefit of the politics of the show. Because he's not gender fluid. His variants can be born of different genders. But an individual Loki is not necessarily gender fluid just because their variants 
Or if he is, then they're not showing us. Yeah, this is it. If there's another Aaron in another universe who's female, that doesn't make me gender fluid. No. I think the paper's referring to that Earth or that variant. I was happy with the idea of him being bisexual, or rather they could quite happily have said pansexual. Or- Omnisexual or whatever. Whatever Captain Jack is in Doctor Who. Yeah. I don't want to use Captain Jack as my milestone for anything. <laughs> I think pansexual is something that has been agreed outside of Doctor Who, which I might want to go with. But that makes sense. And even that's not necessarily a great victory for the show, though, because gods of our own world have been shown, I say shown, but in myth and legend, have always taken different genders. If Zeus wants to have somebody, he is not bothered about what form it means he has to take. He will take whatever form it needs. Shower of light, huge bull, man, woman, anything. I'm sure Loki's going to be the same. It doesn't feel like a victory. It doesn't feel like they've achieved. And I suppose I'm not bothered about it too much because I don't know that the show internally and the characters tried to achieve it. But I'm bothered if the marketing team was trying to really sell this. That's currently what I'm getting from this show. Internally, the characters said that Loki can be any gender. Okay, fair enough. And Lokis are pansexual. Brilliant. You've established that. And I'm okay with what the show did because they just left it alone. It didn't have to get him hooked up, as Isaac says, with lots of different people of all different genders and sexualities just to prove the point. It was just, no, this is the way it is, let's move on. It's a drunken conversation, stuff gets said, move on. I think that was actually good. But it bothers me that this conversation is so large. Are the marketing team trying to get points that they aren't due, one, because of the marketing team, but it is their job, I get that. It just feels like there's two conversations here, and it bothers me that they seem to be pushing together into one conversation. Maybe they're not, and I've not read enough of the internet, but there's something in there that does bother me. The impression I got from speaking to Carpenter is that everyone who's clamouring for that representation, who's looking for it, who wants it, who needs it, I'm not going to speak for everybody, especially when I don't belong to those groups because I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I do and I'm not going to pretend that I understand that desire either because we're all white straight men. We have representation everywhere and that's something that we enjoy by default, which is great, but wouldn't it be great if everybody had that, but they don't. And the idea that certainly Carpenter were saying, Marvel are doing this again. They're teasing us with something that we really want and just not giving us it again. Yeah. And that's what's bad. That's the problem, because if you just put a rubber stamp on and say gender fluid, it's almost making it worse because you don't value it enough to actually commit to it. It's not that it's not in there is the issue. It's more that it's almost paid sort of a pointless lip service and then wandered away from. This just seems dangerous. It also makes you wonder what was going on in the writing team, because Like I said, the gender fluidity seemed to be done poorly, but from my limited perspective, then the sexuality seemed to be done with a subtlety that meant we weren't trying to get points off of it. In that case, I really liked that stuff. One of the reasons I couldn't even watch some of the DC crossovers is when the the two lesbians in the village had to have a relationship because they were the only two lesbians on the planet. And clearly, therefore, they had to be attracted to each other. And I thought, isn't that sort of thing making it worse? You're just ramming stuff together because someone's told you to. 
So I don't know. It's a funny one. I'd be interested to hear people talk on it, given their two seemingly completely different takes on these two issues. Well, I would recommend and self-plug, always be plugging, as Kat says. Listen to the coverage of the fifth episode. In fact, listen to any of the ones that Carpenter's on, but certainly the one that she was on with me because we go into it in detail or that I was on with her. It was her hosting. Listen to the fifth episode of Podcast 616 coverage of Loki and you'll get a bit of insight into how someone who's connected to that grouping reacted to that. So it's worth a listen. And, you know, I'm there too. Carpenter's really interesting. She has a lot of views on this and she made me think about it in ways that I wouldn't otherwise because I'm not equipped to understand what people are craving in that space because I don't have any connection to it in that respect. My stance is I would love if everybody felt represented in the media they watch. And I know that's not the case and that's really bad. But at the same time, I come from a point of view of where I am represented in media. Yeah, I think when you starve people of representation, any sort of explode. I think it was in the promotional material that Clip bought, which are gender fluid. And and I think a lot of people thought that was going to be more of a thing within the show. Like, you know, before the show came out. So I think that's where the conversation really originated towards what does this mean? It's a positive step in representation for bi people or pan people. It could be bio pan. It says like, oh yeah, some princes, some princesses. And to be honest, I don't fully understand the difference between bi and pan. It's probably a bad thing to say. Well, no, it's not a bad thing. It'd be a bad thing for you to pretend you understood when you don't. Yeah, it's a bad thing to understand. It's more that it's one of those things that I think when you've identified you don't understand, you're inviting yourself to go and look it up. That's all you need to worry about with that. If Kat was available to be on this, she would be able to shed a lot of light on these sorts of things because she's far more connected to this conversation than any of us are. This is why I'm quoting Carpenter so often because we did have that conversation and it really made me think. So certainly as a starter, I would urge everybody to go listen to that. After you've listened to this, please don't stop and go <laughs> listen to this other thing. I mean, I'm on both, but for sure, listen to it. Sort of in the community. Like, I'm probably by. I don't know. I watch a lot of Henry Cavill. <laughs> but like, <laughs> and whenever we watch those Oscar Isaac movies, it's like, he's not that hot in this one. <laughs> I'm surface level. I don't read into this stuff. Sexuality, Oscar Isaac. <laughs> That'll be on your TVA form. Depends on the Henry Cavill movie. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Cavill, but specifically as Superman. So yeah, it's nice to see a bit of representation, but it's definitely going to be a shifting thing. Like I said, Phase 4, going along with the rest of the Marvel world, it has to be more overt. I know comics have a terrible history of representation. Most of it, definitely in the comic form, is we're going to make these female characters by so that the scantily clad ladies can kiss. Yeah. Which has been the last sort of 10 years of any characters. And then they've been like, look, look how many we've done. Not really. They handled Iceman quite well, though, didn't they? They didn't have Iceman. But he was a variant by the definition in this show, actually. He's from a different timeline. Yeah. That Iceman is, anyway. I've not read too much X-Men about Iceman, obviously Batwoman, but then he won't let her get married. She can have a girlfriend as long as she doesn't marry anyone. <laughs> so, yeah, the comics have, well, and the movies have a lot to do, but I definitely think we're in the thing where there'll be more representation, and I think it'll be less talk about it the more it just becomes part of the world, part of characters. Not everything will have to be cut for Chinese audiences or weirdos online who yell. Yeah. So, Aaron, what were your thoughts on Sylvie as a character then? We touched extensively on her contribution in terms of that representation side of things, but what did you think of her as a 
person. I think I'd rather pick up, if you don't mind, on what was set up, because I think you've discussed her in detail already. The only thing I think I can add to that is the conversation they have at the end is one that revolves entirely around you can't trust and I can't be trusted. Now, I actually did like the Sylvie character as is, but one of the biggest points that I noticed whilst watching that Sylvie character is I don't think they set up the ending. Or at least they talked about it, but didn't really properly show it because she does not trust. I wanted to see that throughout. I wanted to see a few people coming up to her and really being honest and she betrayed them anyway because she assumed they were lying. I don't think you see that throughout this particular show. And Loki cannot be trusted. That's a really difficult one as well because it really does fit the Loki that we knew did exist. But our Loki has already been fixed and we had to fix this new Loki in order to get him to the point where we were seeing the Loki we'd come to know and love. So he couldn't be trusted. That's who you were. So this whole end point seemed to be based on the banners that they were wearing from their old life. And that would have been okay if it had been their old life in the show, but it seemed to be their old life from before the show, which I didn't get to watch. I just got it discussed. It was in a completely different film and TV series. So I really did like Sylvie as it was, but I thought it was really strange that the Sylvie and Loki that we really enjoyed watching, that actually had some really good moments. When you said, Isaac, that episodes three and five are one of the best, I would say only for the scenes where Loki and Sylvie are talking. The scenes that don't have them talking, I'm not sure I'd actually necessarily agree, but if we label those as the most important part of those episodes, then I'm happy to agree with that. But still come back to this point, they do set up these two characters, and then when you get to finally hang something on what's been set up, it doesn't work, because that's not how you have set up. So it's kind of a weird one, that liking both the characters, and liking what they did, and the best moments are when they talk in episode five, where they do get together and they have a really heartfelt setup. You want it to be this key moment where you fall in love with them and then you're destroyed when they fight each other because they have to fight each other because that's just how it is. And it's almost written into the physics of the universe. As you say, Kang has written it that they must fight almost, except that he hasn't because at that point they get free will and they can't start making choices. And he's moved on and she clearly hasn't. And all he wants to fight about is a chance to talk about what they really should be fighting about rather than fighting about what they should be fighting about. And you get so lost in this hang on a minute, what's going on? And it doesn't hit you. So it's kind of strange, as I say, I think the characters they've set up needed a different ending somehow, which is so strange. Well, it's not really an ending, is it? We're more in a transitional phase. I think it was more acknowledging the curse of character, almost as if they're still acknowledging their fictional parts. Even in that other nice scene in episode five where they come for each other with this people, like the speculation already hits, like, what's this plan? People are going like, well, Loki's a frost giant. He doesn't feel cold. I was definitely, throughout the series, feeling like he's up to something. Is a character we as the audience never believe is a genuine one. And I think they were kind of, when they were saying, you can't trust and I can't be trusted, 
the I Can't Be Trusted, I think, is more acknowledgement of, not like, this is the character I'm playing, but it's the curse of the character of Loki. No matter how earnest <laughs> that is, we know that they could always be lying, they could always be a deception and a trick. It goes the same with the central mystery of the show. It's for us, the audience, and not really for the characters. It doesn't really matter, which tends to happen a lot, because obviously everything's for the audience. Films are made for the audience, and speculation overly matters to the characters. So I think, yeah, when he was saying like that sort of stuff, obviously yeah, we didn't show too much of, yeah, these characters have become, or at least appear to have become more earnest, but there'll always be that veil of, at any moment, we all know. This could still all be a trick. Wouldn't that have been more powerful if, for some reason, we the audience then, if it's clearly for us and not for them, if we the audience thought he might still betray her? Because I didn't think that. I didn't think that at all. That What he just said is the perception of the rest of the world. But again, if it's the audience that we're really playing to, well, I've already moved beyond that. Well, that calls back to what I was saying about in that moment, you believe him. Whether he's being honest or not, Tom Hiddleston is very good at playing that earnestness. And I always feel like Loki is just one opportunity away from falling back on old habits anyway. But I'm not sure that's what I saw throughout the show, though. Maybe not. It's a show about how he develops. And I guess it should be his curse to say that he can't develop. But I don't know, there's something about the fact that she's on this journey with him. And I didn't honestly believe that either of them could have taken a different path. There was no doubt or mystery to which way they were going. I don't think she really learns any lessons. She just carries on as she always has done. And he's already learned his. So they develop in their emotional bond to each other, develop their skill set. But the key theme of the show is not a dimension they develop in. The thing of it is, when you watch a show about Loki, you start to question yourself. So now I'm wondering, I need to go back and watch the whole series again. <laughs> Definitely could have been more within the show. I'm not sure if this was one. I know Falcon and Winter Soldier was cut down because of filming issues. I'm not sure if that was the same with this one, if it was always six, or if, if there was more that they couldn't do. And yeah, they could have shown more deception and stuff, all that's still a thing that they can do. Loki and Sully were sort of the goodies of the show. It wasn't too blurred on whose side they're on. No, but wouldn't it have been... I'm trying to think of a way to put this into words, and it's, it's really difficult, but wouldn't it have been more powerful if there had been something at the end whereby it relied on them having to trust each other in order to defeat the bad guy. Sort of that principle of, right, we get to the end of the dungeon and the thing you want is over on that pedestal and the thing that I want is on that pedestal, but the thing we have to do together is in the middle. Can I trust you to help me get my thing after I help you get your thing first? And it's a trust exercise because we know we can't mess around because there's a time limit saying you've got to go down the middle path as well at some point. And at any point I can say, well, I've got mine and we're running out of time. Sorry, we can't get yours. You know, I can betray you at any point here. So it becomes this trust set up. But what they're actually having to do is make a decision on what's best for the universe. And I don't know that trust comes into that. There's something about, oh, you'll just try and take the power for yourself. Well, the power's been offered to both of you. This isn't a problem. You can resolve this afterwards. And you've almost got infinite time. You can actually sit there for a bit because you're outside, You're literally outside of the timeline and Kang's not doing anything anymore. So you can go for him when you want. So there's this setup where the final choice 
doesn't seem to be built on the foundation of the biggest problem, which is trust. And that's why I'm bringing this up under Sylvie's character, because I really like the Sylvie that I saw. I really enjoyed seeing the Loki that I saw. I loved them coming together. What Isaac said about he falls in love with himself is so meaningful and powerful and such a big deal. Why wasn't the whole end point hung on that? Well, because it couldn't be, because we have to build it into the universe, and one division couldn't set up the multiverse. And I'm pretty sure there was some sort of past the parcel or hot potato. The pandemic meant that we couldn't set up the multiverse. Over to you. You've got to do it now. We couldn't film it. Sorry, you've got to. And so you come to this point where that setup is lost. But I always wonder, could it have been brought in? Could they have changed it so it was a trust issue at the end? Or is it one of those things whereby you write your story and then some genius of an executive producer comes along when you're about 90% of the way in already and says, this is your ending. And you go, what? You're giving me the ending now? How am I supposed to deal with that now? Tough. You're paid to do that. I'm the executive producer. Do what I say. All right, fair enough. And you have to. I read somewhere recently that Doctor Strange was originally scheduled before Loki. Mm. That makes sense, yeah. And obviously Doctor Strange is going to be kicking around the multiverse. So if you'd watched a Doctor Strange movie and then gone into Loki and been like, but what if the multiverse happens? It's like, well, we just saw it. I think your thing is saying, yeah, some executive has gone like, actually, we need to set us up now because we can't use, you know, an original plan. The audience had seen Doctor Strange and knew yeah. how it's going to play out. So, yeah, I think you might have a point there. Can we just take a moment to consider that Doctor Strange has to fix the multiverse because he was texting while he was driving? It's his responsibility because he was texting while he was driving, yeah. but someone would have had to fix it. <laughs> yeah, but it's just hilarious that I was texting while driving now I have to knit together the universe again <laughs> burden of responsibility but going back to that trust point you were making Aaron I think that happens earlier and I agree with you it should have been what the final choice of the show hangs on but the Elioth defeat is that is them trusting each other because they have to join forces and Loki has to do something selfless by creating the distraction and things like that and there's even that moment of hesitation where Sylvie goes to face down Elioth and Loki stands behind her and it's that very deliberate blocking where he stands right behind her as if to say, you do this first, I'll be here. That's him almost falling back on old habits. And then he ultimately changes his mind and they work together and they're able to pool their resources in order to enchant the thing. So that's where that trust moment comes into play. But it's too early and it's not decisive enough. I think the problem is also don't have your big character moments set in a giant tornado. <laughs> You've got your giant smoke monster. And don't set your pivotal moment here because all we can see is green lightning and smoke and magic Asgard and Richley Grant and screaming dog face and stuff. That was one of those cases where I was just watching the effects and stuff was kind of happening. I'm like, okay, there's a big old fight. Mine sort of went to that slightly gooey, I'm watching big CGI stuff happen mode where your eyes glaze over a bit and you're like, oh, stuff. So you need to set your pivotal moments when the speaking is clear and exact and you know what to focus on. I could only assume then that that is the reason that they did their writing up until episode five and then episode six was right multiverse. Get on with it. Yeah. So let's dive into a bit of the plot then. We'll come back to the other characters as we go along. So it all focuses around this whole concept of the sacred timeline. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm coming back to it now. The sacred timeline is almost, it's not almost, it is a metaphor for the MCU as a property. It's this whole idea of 
You can play around a little bit. You can create a few ripples here and there, but at the end of your thing, you have to put all the toys back in the box. We were critical of that in WandaVision because we had five episodes of something and then a sixth episode of let's reset this a little bit while we set up other stuff. And that's what I assumed Loki was going to do. And I suppose the fact that it's getting a second season means that they delayed the fact that they're going to do that. But I like the idea of the sacred timeline in the sense of who gets to decide this? And why do they get to decide it? And they give you that explanation of the multiversal war. First of all, it's the timekeepers that put the sacred timeline in place. And then it turns out it was Kang who created the timekeepers for some reason. Don't know why. He just did. They never explain it. But he gives you the same information. Loki's point about, no, free will is important. I make my own choices. I want to make my own choices. Therefore, the sacred timeline has to go because I want to make my own choices. And I don't think they go quite into the whole implications of it, because again, has to happen in season two. There is a big suggestion that it's now broken and something bad is going to happen as a result of it. And Loki comes to the conclusion that the sacred timeline is better to preserve than it is to destroy for some reason. Again, it doesn't explain it. He argues for them to have a proper discussion about it. And that's the weirdness of that end fight. But he's swayed a bit. He's swayed enough to consider it, which is an important point. He is going to be essentially the voice of reason. This is worth talking about because who wants a multiversal war? And that is a nice bit of character development, actually, because you're right. He's the perfect person to be chaos fighting against ultimate order. Do you want to see more of this guy? He stands on tables when he's talking. That's weird. We don't want more of him. Yeah, so he does get that bit of development, which is interesting. I think it would have been more interesting, though, if he'd have been, I'm going to want to do this now. I've changed my mind and they have to fight over something. He just wants to fight over the opportunity to fight over it. It's kind of meta at the end. So they fight over the fact that they can have that conversation and then they don't have that conversation. No, he's kicked out of the room. The sacred timeline idea, I do like the idea of free will being compromised. That does feed into the TVA because they're all variants that have been lied to, that have been plucked from the timeline for nefarious reasons. So there's abuse there, there's control there, there's self-determination being messed with, there's exploitation, all of that. It's not something they go into with individual characters heavily. I think B-15, if that's what her name is, Yeah, she was the case study for the victims. And there was that really good scene where her and Sylvia had that conversation. Show me my past. And then she cries because she was like, I think I was happy. It's just kind of brutal. And I wish they'd done more with that because there was a real opportunity to play with that, especially around Mobius, because he was our point of view TVA character for most of it. And he turns against the whole thing very quickly, which makes sense because he is fundamentally a good guy. And he talks about the whole, I want to preserve the little things. I like the little things. Give me my bloody jet ski. Everyone wants a jet ski for Owen Wilson after this for some reason because he wouldn't shut up about it. And again, it's that you've given us something here. You've given us an idea. You've given us a concept and you're not giving us the concept properly. You're not letting us explore it, which you should be. And maybe this show would have been better with nine episodes. Probably, or maybe if they'd have just combined the characters, because I don't think Hunter C20 has really any individual purpose that couldn't have been fulfilled by Hunter B15. So they could tidy some of those things up, maybe, if they wanted to move faster. Yeah, I like those themes and concepts, because I always find it interesting when 
people are manipulated into doing things and are playing a part. I mean, Mobius is pretty happy with his lot in life, at least until he finds out he's been lied to and then he just turns on it immediately. And Ravonna is interesting in a different way because she is unhappy with her lot in life because she's in this powerful position, but then she has no power. She asks Sylvie to kill her and she doesn't, obviously. I didn't get that, actually. No? No. Why did she do that? Why did she suddenly say, yeah, I want to go on to the next place that I know about? Because I thought her motivation was that she wanted to find out what was going on. That was definitely her motivation. And there seemed to be a bit of uncertainty around her place in the universe as well. Again, they don't do enough with it because she's a really interesting character. It could have been had she had the time, but she just seemed to serve whatever function the plot in that episode needed her to at that time. Because I really liked her conversations with Mobius, especially the one where Mobius knew she was lying and was trying to steer it in a particular direction because their friendship seemed genuine. But then there was this undercurrent of deception to it at that point as well. I think Ravonna is going to be a character that's going to be more interesting later, though. Now she's established, she can really be yourself. Whereas the character at the start was very much just, you are the TVA. And it's at those points where you don't know what's going on and you can't really analyze it. Because my biggest memory of Ravonna is she says from the judge's chair to Loki, how do you plead? And you want to go... Against what? What have I done? What's my charge? What's my crime? What happened? And it's very much this setup whereby you have to assume that it's all just a farce. It is on purpose a court of mistrials because it is just for somebody else's benefit that we've made it a court. Because nobody knows what the rules are. Nobody can possibly know what the rules are. You don't get any lawyer or defense. There is no defense. You don't even get to know what your crime is. So the whole idea of it being a court is purely farcical. And I'm okay with that if there is some sort of horrendous group of people behind it, forcing it to be a certain way, and they're trying to sell you the truth, and you have to accept the truth. But the thing of it is... It doesn't go outside the building. Nobody outside is being sold this nation. So the lie is just for the people in it. But then she knows it's a lie. And I'm standing there to the point where I'm wondering, why is this happening? What's going on? Who is the lie being told to? Can the hunters actually break their programming if they don't get the lie? If they don't have this constant reinforcement? And there's all this stuff in the background. And I think you just have to nope, put it aside. It's just the way it is. And because of that, though, Ravona, I think, has done a bit of a disservice because why is this farce important has just been put aside because we can't analyze it. We don't have time. Just move on. Just accept it. All right. Okay. Well, in that case, I just have to accept that Ravona is who she is. Why is she doing this? Well, because she needs to, because the plot wouldn't move on if she didn't. As if that was a good answer, move on. So I, I didn't get much out of Ravonna at all as a character here, but I don't think that was necessarily possible compared to some of the other ones. And hopefully she'll get a bit of a chance to shine if she does appear as a minor villain 
as hopefully more than a single fight, like some of the other minor villains. Hey, I'm back to be defeated in a singular fight with Captain America. Bye. You know, hopefully she gets a bit more than that. And if she does, she'll be good. For me, the things that they were doing with her were interesting, but there just weren't enough of them. I mean, the whole how do you plead thing, it's just that standard send up of bureaucracy that fiction likes to do, isn't it? It's the idea that bureaucracy is just ridiculous and doesn't need to exist, but it exists to support its own existence so it's that whole the line that Loki has to walk all the way around he's like I'm the only one here I'd have been happy that they were processing him in an office though they didn't need it to be a judge it could have just been you've stepped off the sacred timeline sign this off we go and he just has to go through some sort of 1950s or because they've gone 1970s just some 1970s office you just get processed like a piece of paper and I think that would have been quite powerful too because Loki would have gone hang on a minute I'm a person I'm not just a form for you to fill in and then file away with the rest of your infinity stones that you're using as paper. What am I going to be? T-boy? And it's just, you're just processed through an office. And to me, the trial and the judge and jury invites me to think about something, but it's irrelevant. It's not there. The hunters are hunters. They're not part of a police system. They're not detectives, detective, you know, D15 detective, or they're not policemen, they're hunters. Hang on a minute, that doesn't fit the courtroom theme you've just set up. So again, what's going on here? No, stop looking at that. You're not supposed to be looking that way. You're supposed to be looking this way. And I made my peace with it. I just walked away. It's for all the reasons we've just discussed, but it does have consequences, I think, and Ravona is one of them. Yeah, and another issue with it is the whole people not understanding what they're even accused of. Because you get all these little examples of, well, what are you in for? And it's something ludicrous. They talk about people visiting the wrong person's house or whatever it is at the wrong time and they suddenly get taken off the timeline. It's these little innocuous things. You never find out what Sylvie did, but you have to imagine it's a fairly innocuous thing because she gets taken when she's just playing. That brings up a point, actually, that I never managed to resolve. There's loads of things in this series that I did manage to resolve, either by thinking back on it like the D.B. Cooper thing, or watching a YouTube Explains video where they said, well, if you compare this and this and this, then you get another answer. And and I I love that. But the whole idea of the nexus events and the variations, I never quite understood what was going on there because I don't understand when somebody is taken. And I don't understand the word variant. And I certainly don't understand the alligator because... If you are taken as a young girl low-key, and you're taken at the point where you are playing with your toys, on, quote, the internet, the thought process is that she, at that point, committed to becoming a nice person because she's shown playing with toys and showing somebody saving somebody else, and she's committing to being this kind person that thinks about this person is in trouble and therefore needs saved. Whereas the other Loki might have been thinking, oh, this is a point I can take advantage because that person has been knocked down by life. I can steal their stuff. So she has potentially at that point chosen to become a nice person. But by being a female Loki and by growing up to being 10 years old and by being born Loki to a previous instance of Asgard, which has clearly existed for thousands of years, none of that was a Nexus event. So where does that other Asgard exist? Because it can't be in the sacred timeline because it's not the Loki we know. And an alligator Loki. So being born an alligator and evolving as a species of alligators was not a bad choice. 
That was okay. It was only when Loki alligator and a thousand years of alligator history turned on its head by him deciding to eat the wrong cat. Now we've got a problem. Not being born an alligator. So if the multiverse is made of timelines, where does the alligator and the young girl and all the other Lokis get to exist and it was fine? So are there multiverses in each timeline or are there multiple timelines in each multiverse? And what the hell is going on? Because the word variant means nothing to me. And I'm sort of okay with that if variant is just a pejorative. I don't like you, therefore you're a variant. And if that's all it is, I get that. But it doesn't explain to me whether there are timelines inside multiverses and multiverses inside timelines. And I don't get it. That annoyed me as well, and I did try not to think about it. Well, I think that's the thing. The whole idea is don't think about it. You're looking in the wrong place, put it in a box. And I, that, I didn't want to. And you say that variant means nothing. Unfortunately, in our real world, it means a lot. It's almost a bit triggering whenever you watch the show, isn't it? Stop saying the word variant. I'm sick of it. Just stop saying it. I mean, they weren't to know, obviously, at the time. They might have called it something else. Had they? I think I didn't make the connection, actually. And you've just dated your podcast, I suppose. But then we've already done that by the TV series. So who cares? I've never at any point equated the pandemic with a human being. So I didn't even think about it, actually. I've either caused you to continue not thinking about it or ruined it for you. I think I just need to put it in the box with the rest of the stuff. Don't look that way. No, I totally agree. The whole, it's fine that there was an alligator, Loki. It's fine that Tom Hiddleston can age into Richard E. Grant because he keeps himself hidden. But it's when he decides to do something that that's when he becomes a problem. So he's allowed to survive Thanos because that doesn't create a nexus event. But suddenly deciding, I'm sick of this planet. I'm going somewhere else. Mm. That's your nexus event. So these disparate timelines are allowed to exist. So therefore, there can't be a sacred timeline because the whole point of a sacred timeline is that there's one. Yes. But there can't be just one if you have an alligator. Amusingly, do you know how you resolve this? By having Kang essentially being just as big a liar as Loki. And if it turns out to be that, I'm back on board because he's just a jerk. Sorry, he tried to give you a good story because he just didn't want to be in the chair anymore he didn't want to be the leader and he would have said anything and i'm okay with that and i think the show has given me enough that i have to say allow for that possibility and keep it into the season two especially because we saw the statue change from the timekeepers to kang so who knows but the issue i had with kang or one of the issues i had with kang is we've talked about this preordained plan he knows what loki's going to say he knows what sylvie's going to say he knows what he's going to say up until a fixed point, and that fixed point is coming soon. So he's playing his role in this conversation. Loki and Sylvia are playing the role in this conversation. They know it. They're going to say these things even though they don't know what they're going to say. But they're going to say them anyway, whatever. Weird. Kang is doing the same thing. So he's playing out this script that he already knows up until a point. So the suggestion is, it's not a suggestion, that he is trapped in that procession of circumstances. He's as trapped as anybody else is. But he's running the show. Did he trap himself? Is it necessary to trap himself for the greater good? Did someone else trap him? Did another Kang trap him? What's going on here? I'm not saying that not answering that question is a bad thing because, yeah, there's going to be a season two and leave us with a bit of mystery to feed into it. But the fact that Loki, for example, doesn't ask that question annoys me because he would. 
and he should. Yeah, again, it's in the box and you just have to not look at it. But he's supposed to be so focused on Sylvie. I think I was okay with that. But you have to look at it because the final episode hinges on this conversation. Well, but we've already discussed what I think of the final episode. It wasn't set up. So they suddenly have a small amount of time to do something completely different. So it was almost never going to work. And the thing is, throughout the run of the season, people were speculating, oh, this links into Kang, Ravonna's his wife or whatever. There's all these Kang clues throughout. And I was led to just assume it wasn't going to play out to be Kang because we've been through this with WandaVision, teasing things that were never going to happen. So I was subscribing to the idea of by the end of the show, all the toys will be put back in the box and it'll ultimately be largely inconsequential in the grander scheme of things. I ended up being wrong there and I was glad to be wrong. So when Kang showed up, I was like, okay, you got my attention here. You've introduced this new element that you were... Okay, fairly enough, setting up, but also it's an element that doesn't exist within the show yet. And it's an element that's going to feed into the rest of the universe. But you have to justify his presence in this one episode. And you have to justify what he does in this one episode. But I don't think that they did, necessarily. I don't think that they managed to make him mean as much as he needed to. It's a weird case where we've seen what happens if the baddie wins before the baddie was introduced. Yeah. Obviously, we don't know what other variants are going to be, but this Kang's very lazy. <laughs> he just does whatever the easiest, you know, the sacred time is just the easiest solution. Why is he going to join in with it? Probably just because it's simple. It's easy to follow the preordained path. It's kind of like he's got an office job. He just turns up, mm. paperwork's all the same and carries on. So Kang is not a character I'm aware of, really, other than, Craig, what was that? Is Avengers cartoon we watch with him in? Yeah, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. And Earth's Mightiest Heroes, but I've not looked into too much who he is. But now I'm like, yeah, and again, I was sort of the same worry that you had. Oh, I hope it's not just like, it's me, Kang. And everyone's like, it's the Benedict Cumberbatch is really Khan problem. Who's Kang? Who's this? It's not really Kang, is he? He is a version of him. He's a version of whatever Kang the Conqueror will become. So it's quite fun to have seen it. This is the worst case scenario if the villain wins before we meet the villain, which I think is quite fun. I think it's insane that he's going to fight (laughs) Ant-Man. He can create multiverses and he's going to get beaten up by Ant-Man and the Wasp. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you say that. There was a particular Avengers story I can think of where Kang is plaguing them. He exposes them to this mind control beam or whatever that makes them fight the closest person to them, but he doesn't notice that the Wasp has shrunk down and she's the closest person to him. So she attacks him and defeats him. That's how he loses in that scenario. So, yeah, I'm actually on board with him getting beaten up by Ant-Man and or the Wasp. And he's a variant. And they established that he is a variant. So He's not Kang. He is a potential. Well, he is Kang, but he's not Kang. Yeah. I'll put it on the table now. The performance annoyed the hell out of me. Just how quippy and quirky he was was bugging me. So I'm okay with that, I suppose, because we're going to see so many other different versions of Kang probably over next season, certainly. And the version in Ant-Man is going to be different again. So I think we're going to see what Jonathan Majors is capable of in creating these disparate versions of Kang over the course of however long. I kind of hope that he does keep that Willy Wonka-ness. Because I don't want another Thanos-type or a thingy-type where it's just like, ooh, because my purpose or it is my, you know, so dour and serious. It'd be fun to have a really mean villain who's just a loony. I'm assuming he's, he's just been there by himself for oh, yes. an infinite time. And he's like, yeah, he's just <laughs> babbling and talking to himself. and Talking to himself on that script that he already knows because he can see it. Playing with his <laughs> weird malleable dolls. <laughs> I quite like that he's just... Gone a bit mad, yeah. You know, after Thanos and Darkseid and 
if Doctor Doom comes up, he'll be kind of a serious character. And yeah, I think this universe needed essentially kind of like a Joker. <laughs> I want to see a villain who is just a bit more wild and fun and interesting to watch than. And I'm sure we'll get that because that's on brand for the Loki show, and it'll be on brand for Ant Man as well. But I also think we'll get Jonathan Majors playing. Is it Jonathan Majors? His name is. I think it's Jonathan it? Majors. Yeah. We'll get to see him play different versions of that. Yeah. So we'll get maniacal Kang. We'll get altruistic Kang, we'll get disaffected Kang, and so on. What was your problem with him then? Because it seemed like it was fitting for the environment, it was fitting for the TV series it was in. Personal preference. He just bugged me. Mm, okay. I said that in my review, it's going to come down to personal taste, and he was annoying me. Mm. That was all it was. I'm not saying it was a bad performance. You couldn't sanction his buffoonery. Yeah, I couldn't sanction his buffoonery. Exactly. The performance was great. Jonathan Majors, if that is his name, did a great job with the material he was given. He blended in with the world that the show inhabits. He was engaging to watch, but at the same time, he annoyed me. I'm sure we've had that discussion many times, Aaron, where you've talked about, okay, I acknowledge that everything about this thing is good, but it also wasn't for me. That's an argument you frequently make on things and and that's fine it's valid it's completely valid i think and i think as long as you acknowledge that i'm not saying this is crap i'm just saying this isn't for me well that was what i was about to say i just think if you're in the business of reviewing i just think you need to say it and that's why i asked you the question because you're when you originally brought it up it didn't come with its personal preference so i asked you the question just to sort of make you say it that was all just because of that's the business we're doing although i did say he annoyed the crap out of me so that's well, okay. That's just me. Employed, but I would rather have the confirmation. But that's what it was. A lot of people liked him. A lot of people liked what he did, and a lot of people liked the way he was. That just wasn't me. I don't know what they would have been able to do, though, to give you something, just out of curiosity. I'm not sure what they would have been able to do to give you something you would have enjoyed, but would have fitted it. I don't know. I would have had to see it to know that, if you know what I mean. I'm not sure what I would have wanted. I just know it wasn't that. Mm. But I think it would have helped had I felt like I got more out of what he was saying as well. Because all he was doing was really repeating information that had already been given. Well, I don't think that's quite fair. I think there was a bit of that, and I can't deny it. But given that there is this idea of hidden information that is either going to be revealed later in a film, and they don't know what film it is because they don't know what the pandemic's still going to do, or they haven't made up their mind yet, I guess that's the worst of it. But equally, maybe they want to leave it for us as stuff for us to figure out because Easter eggs are fun. There's no doubt about that. If you really want to have a good marketing campaign, don't go, this is going to be great. Actually say, have you worked it out yet? That's really going to give the audience a way to properly connect. And given some of the stuff that I've seen online, I've got to pick one example. And the one that really stands out to me is the guy who did the analysis of how WandaVision and Loki interact. And I just would never have even thought about that. It didn't even cross my mind. But as soon as the person said, have you considered this? I went, oh my God. That makes so much sense. I hope that's true. I don't know if it is. You'll need to dig this out for the show notes. I will dig it out for the show notes. Do you want it here or do you want to leave it in the show notes for people to discover? Yeah, mention who it is and be in the show notes too. Everything Always. I'll give you a link for the show notes for a video by Everything Always. And it's literally called Loki and WandaVision Finale Scenes Synced. Done. Mentioned. Okay. So how do they connect then? I struggled for a long time to figure out why on earth there would be a point in this timeline 
that beyond it, Kang wouldn't be able to see it, didn't know what was going on. He has already said he's got an entire script. And they've also shown that the timeline is a loop, which is an interesting oh, thing. Oh, I think I know what this mentioned, is. But it is nonetheless a loop. So in theory, nothing can change and he must know everything. Yet despite this fixed physical rule that has been shown in the show, this ultimately powerful setup, this ultimately powerful character still says there is somehow a change that even I can't bend back into a loop. Even I am broken by this. I'm thinking, what on earth can this possibly be? And yet you suddenly think when this person shows it to you, oh my God, I was literally shown this as well. It is the Scarlet Witch becoming the Scarlet Witch. And if you play the episodes out, what you hear is the same roll of thunder. When Scarlet Witch actually puts her... And I didn't like them, but that's a different story. Her four runes up, the thunder rolls. And it's at that point where she is shown to have the power. She gets the power. She steals the power. And that role of thunder plays in Loki. So you're actually thinking that Kang is now knowing that this time somebody's nexus event is not one that he can send in the time police. One of these little wee oil lanterns this time is just not going to cut it because the whoever's nexus event it is, they're just going to go over and flick it away with their finger and say, nope, I still exist. Who could that possibly be? Yes, it's literally the Scarlet Witch, the person who is known to be the most powerful Nexus event in the history of everything. And you think, right, there we go. There is information in here that we couldn't necessarily work out for ourselves from the plot, but it is there. If you look at what Marvel has given you, then it is there. And I'm great with that sort of stuff. That's got great marketing. That's really interesting. It's not necessarily true, but oh, I really hope it is because that's some good plotting. Well, they've announced that Loki is going to appear in Doctor Strange as well. It's not announced. It's just rumoured. Clickbait have announced it. Oh, God. I fell for that and I checked and it's like, we can't see why he wouldn't show up in this. Ah, so, so there's no not. source. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ignore what I just said. Mm-hmm. People just want him to be in it. Yeah, I suppose so. But Wanda definitely is, I suppose. So I guess her connection yeah. to the multiverse will be shown through that. It would make sense for Loki to show up in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange turns up and being like, I thought you were dead. What have you done? You've broken the bloody universe. What is this? Actually, to be fair, literally wasn't him. Yeah, I know, but you'll get blamed for it anyway. No, I mean... He was there when it happened. That's good enough. Yeah, the Kang side of it wasn't really for me. And I appreciate leaving things unanswered for the next season and so on. But I don't feel like they really answered anything, which really frustrated me. I was hoping for more answers. And I got resolution on the character side of things to a degree for Loki and or Sylvie. I was looking for a bit more answers. I haven't seen all of Lost, but it's why it was annoying me because season by season, they just weren't telling me anything. Right. You can't bring up the word Lost and expect me not to jump in, by the way. (laughs) I don't know if that's in this podcast or the theme, but I'm claiming it now. So you mentioned Lost, I'm jumping in. There's a massive difference between these two shows. In Lost, they actively came out and said... We didn't have a plan, at which point line them up against the wall. Whereas I think I've just given, even though not proof, I think, in fact, throughout all of this podcast, we've talked about what's come up in the episodes to suggest that if you look into it, there is meaning behind what's going on. 
or at least it's internally consistent when it comes to the D.B. Cooper stuff. And there's the suggestion that there's even more. If you go away and compare, like I say, as an example, WandaVision with Loki, that there is stuff going on in the background. So Lost, slap in the face, just painful. Whereas in this, I think if you've said, there's nothing here, this is just wrong, I can't do it. I think actually it's because you've chosen not to look. So I admit they didn't give you answers, but there's been many times on these podcasts where we've said, I don't want exposition. I want to encounter it. And I think you have to allow for the possibility that you're going to encounter it, even if not in season two, potentially in the films. And if you're doing decades long plotting, surely that's got to be okay. Though the the final episode was largely exposition, though. Some of it was interesting, but that's essentially all it was, really. I think it's a difficult line to tread, because obviously I don't want everything to be exposition-wise and explained exactly. But also, you have an audience of many different people and ages and stuff, and it's kind of a case where you don't want everything set in stone. I don't want the characters to explain everything to me. But also, in these big family Disney stuff, these giant productions and films and TV stuff. Like, oh, we kind of have to cater for everybody. <laughs> You've seen all the clickbait ones where it's like, well, why didn't they explain where Captain America went for this? For some people, if you don't explain everything, people will get annoyed. So it's difficult to get it right. It seems weird for me to be the one who's actually arguing for this, by the way. I feel like I'm on the wrong <laughs> side of the fence here and I'm not used to it. That's because you're a variant and it's more accommodating it's of better. these it's too light issues. Here. It's not dark and miserable enough. But nonetheless, I want to carry on with it because I'm already on record saying that the ending that I got, I don't think was hung enough on the character build-ups to be emotional and hard-hitting. And in a drama where the plot force is taking over, that is how I think a good ending has to be done. So I feel like I was slightly let down by the ending because they told me it was one type of story and you reckon that we were given that in episode five and episode six had to be there for a big, long epilogue. So I'll stay on record to say that I can't call the ending of Loki great because I wasn't emotionally moved by it and I thought I'd been promised that. However, that said, if I put that aside, if I now look for my series to give me enough information to resolve what was given me in the series, I think the ending stands up to that. I'm not saying I liked it. I'm not saying it was satisfying because I didn't find that. But I think I would argue that the information given was enough to resolve what they'd given me earlier on with the understanding that, of course, I am going to get a season two to resolve some of it because they did actually give you enough to say, this is the choice that you guys need to make. Not emotional enough a choice for me, but nonetheless, here is a choice. I have set up this universe. It's failing. I'm too tired to carry on. And quite frankly, we need somebody who's young and strong enough and clever enough to be able to do what I've done under the constraints that has been set up, given that the universe is breaking. You two, I think, are the only ones that can do this. Make your choice now. So the exposition was not enough to answer all of your questions for the ongoing multiverse. But I would argue that's not required for this show because what Isaac has just said to me is you have to resolve the plot that you've set up because otherwise this series is going to be disappointing. I think they gave you that. I think what they didn't give you is all the answers to go beyond it into Multiverse of Madness. 
but they didn't need to do that to fulfill what Isaac has set up as a requirement, which I completely agree with, by the way. And I don't think it needed to do it to do anything more than set up Loki series two, because it's unfair to require any show to completely resolve itself and start something completely new in series two. I would argue that anything that does try and do that is going to definitely fail. So I kind of get what you're saying, but I think you're asking too much of this one series, actually. I think if I'd gotten a couple more bits of new information in the final episode, I would have been a bit more satisfied. It was just more about, okay, here's the Ravonna variant. What does that mean? Tell you in season two. What does it mean now that the multiverse is broken? We'll tell you in season two. What does it mean now that this variant of Kang is dead? We'll tell you in season two. And so on. There's just a lot of that. That's not fair either, actually, because they did tell you what would happen. All of the Kangs would come together and completely destroy everything. And again, it feels weird because I'm a person who's again on record of saying I hate the multiverse is under threat. Can't stand it. But nonetheless, that was in that episode. If you don't do this, we're in trouble. And we've already seen some proof of that. It's already started to go wrong. Even in the end, when he goes back into the TVA and it's all different to what it was before, the sacred timeline is over. It's gone. We have already branched out. You've been chucked back into a branch. There's no promises it's going to be a nice one because this particular Kang who's in this branch you're now in is arrogant and elitist enough that he wants his statue out there. He wants you to know who he is. The old guy... Say what you like about the old boss, the exec sitting in his office. He didn't mess around with where the coffee was poured. He just let you get on with it. <laughs> this guy is, no, you're going to pour coffee from the place. I tell you, I want my face. You bow down to me. We've already got a worse Kang than we had before. And that is because Sylvie made her choice. So I think all that is right there. Definitely right there. I would have still liked a couple of more questions answered rather than again we'll tell you in season two i feel like that's now come to a point that i cannot refute because it's irrefutable you want more because you want more in which case i surrender yeah fair enough they never even explained why he set up the timekeepers that just seemed to be a pointless addition so when i was saying before some things are just for the audience and not for the characters why did he set up three timekeepers who are basically gods that control the sacred timeline it was said that we would be invested and be like, well, who's really trying to get? It was like, no one would believe one sole entity would do that. I'm like, God. It's basically just saying God. Like, That's what religion is. <laughs> I think that was just for the audience's benefit. Who's behind the three timekeepers? A fourth one. <laughs> it's a really weird, it's a real weird non-mystery. I, I'm happy to disagree with that if you want, but do you want me to bother? Go for it. I don't know whether I should. I think putting three mysterious I mean, why three? Well, you have to pick a number. It could have been one, could have been two, could have been three. But the point was they were mysterious, they were far away, and they were misunderstood. If you come out as you, as a human, it doesn't matter if you say, but I'm from the 30th century into the future, and I've got infinite power. No, you're still a human. You look like a human, and therefore I don't trust you to make mistakes. What you want, as you've already said, is a god. You want somebody in charge who's infallible, who won't be questioned. Give me something better than three alien things from somewhere we don't know with infinite power that we can't describe. You have made a religion. As you say, that's what you need. That's what it is. I think they're a perfect choice to hide behind. You're questioning why did it have to be three of them? Well, it didn't. It could have been two or four, but you've got to pick a number. So why three? They are not human, at least. 
which is something he did pick. It's definitely less of a dictatorship as well. <laughs> what this one man tells you to do, it's like, oh, this like, council, this thing. And also, I suppose yeah, there's also an argument if it was just like, oh yeah, I'm Kang. He's like, well, I'm going to protect you from myself, basically. Well, yeah, that's a difficulty. Yeah. You can accomplish that by the TVA only ever referring to the power behind the sacred timeline as he, though. It's still far away, still mysterious, still monolithic. Yeah, it could be like the mysterious timekeeper or something. Yeah. But you need an image. You've got to pick something. Even when we've used in Christian religion, God, there's still something there. There's churches. Just a big old man with a beard. (laughs) It's a very important part of that is Jesus Christ, which has a mystery, which has a resurrection. You still have to create something for the people to get behind. You can't just go, it's mysterious, don't ask. You know, oh no, it's, it's, it's God, there's the Trinity, there's the Son that sacrificed himself forever. There is still a story, there's still an image, there's still a cross to look at. In this case, your cross is three alien beings of infinite power. There's still an imagery that has to be constructed. So why did it have to be them? It didn't. You could pick any imagery, but if you're going to put it on telly, you better put something, because if the camera keeps cutting away, I'm going to get mighty suspicious. What's the power? Turn the camera quickly. Can't show you any of this. They're all bound down to something. What are they bound down to? Nope, look away. So they picked a character from the comics. Perfectly reasonable. They're already there. Why not use them? Yeah, sure. I can stop now because I feel weird. I feel I'm in the wrong place. I need to come back. I need to start hacking pits off things. It's this variant we've found, guys, and it's not good. He's too positive. Right. Too accommodating. We'll need to prune this one. At least I'm on brand, I suppose. There we go. Last couple of things. Let's talk about some of the Loki variants. I like the Richard E. Grant one, and I like the alligator one, and I just liked how they balanced comedy and, and drama through that. You cut to the alligator, and it's an alligator, and it's just funny. And Richard E. Grant doing the Gandalf thing when he conjures up the massive illusion of Asgard was really cool. But all the variants were pretty broadly drawn, and they had to be because it's just, here's the presidential one, here's the boastful one, here's the kid one, and they all have one definable look and trait. I mean, that's all really I have to say about them is... I remember them, but I think people were looking for the presidential Loki storyline to actually be told, and they're not getting that. And never will now, probably, which is kind of a shame. I do think one of the things that we'll get in the next series is, now that they've got the variants thingy out of the way, I think that they'll be more in-depth. Because essentially, yeah, like you said, the most in-depth ones we got were Richard E. Grant and the alligator. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid. The kid was quite deep. The kid, he gave Loki a sword and that's it pretty much but there was the whole thing about we're subservient to him because he's the one that killed thor none of us have done that yeah but that was that was a lie just all that so makes him that i want to see more of cycle enthusiast loki who is in <laughs> the background that his horns are just like bike handlebars coming out of his head yeah hulk loki and whatever yeah and hulk loki and stuff or ice guard loki i think next series will definitely be more people loved the variants I mean, they'll be like, yeah, we need to see more weird variants. This is where you get your celebrity cameos. You know, whoever Marvel can get, you know, occasionally they get like, one-off legendary actors to do something dumb. Mm-hmm. This is where you get them in for the Lokis. So it could be like a Kevin Smith Loki or a, <laughs> I don't know, Patrick Stewart Loki. <laughs> I mean, that's something we'll definitely get. We've got Frog Thor as well. He was in a I jar. I missed it. I have tried to go back and I've still missed it. Could we see Mjolnir? Is it around that yeah. bit? Yeah, he's trying to get out of the jar to get Mjolnir. Mm. And apparently Chris Hemsworth recorded the grunts, like the froggy grunts. It's pretty good. Enjoy that. And other Easter eggs like the Polybius game in the background and the Thanos copter. I love the Thanos copter. 
Aaron, if you don't know what that is, there was a comic book where Thanos flew around in a stupid helicopter. Yeah, and got arrested by a New York policeman. Yeah. <laughs> He's got taken to a New York jail because he stopped yeah. his helicopter and was like, you're under arrest. For parking this helicopter illegally or whatever. <laughs> I think it was it was throwing out promotional material. It was one of those helicopters that was doing leafleting and he got arrested. I totally get that, by the way, because in the end, they only got Al Capone on taxes. They didn't get him for the murder. When you're trying to get <laughs> Thanos on something and you can't get him on universe destruction, you get him on littering and illegal parking. It's fine. <laughs> But yeah, those Easter eggs were good. I missed the Frog Thor the first time I watched the episode. It wasn't until I saw a YouTube video with the point out and I was like, I've got to see this for myself. And then I went back and found it. So that was fun. It's the only Thor variant you get, actually, in the show. It's the only non-Loki variant you get, really, other than the TVA people. So that's notable. But how that happened, God knows. It's quite funny. So those Easter eggs, the variants, I would have liked more from the variants. And this is where more episodes would have come in. We'd get more time with them. But Aaron, you hated episode five, didn't you? Or you hated those parts of it. So I don't get on very well with Fass. And I think the variants came in really quickly and perfunctorily. And therefore, they couldn't do very much with them. I also wanted to see more of the variants. I wanted them in more of the plot lines. And I wanted to see them in greater detail. I think they were an interesting thing. And to suddenly give us 10 or so variants all in one bunker, they had to make them a bit naff without any of the cleverness of Loki. They're all just followers. They're all pretty stupid. They did what they told. They betrayed him because that's the only personality trait they could have. They betrayed their leader. They weren't anything else. And therefore, when it came to interacting with them, all they could do was have a silly fight scene where we're throwing alligators at each other. It looked a bit like, here are 14 people, and the director's just gone, go, do funny, weird things. And they all just do. And even the bit where boastful Loki betrays kid Loki, he reduces himself down to nothing interesting. And yet the Lokis are supposed to be the most interesting part of this. So I wanted to see fewer variants in greater detail where they are all worth looking at. And if you can only show them for a couple of seconds, then you have to do it like they did with Hulk Loki and Tour de France Loki. Because then it's fine. It's a joke. It's a simple gag and it's funny. But when they're all in that silly supermarket throwing things at each other, it's just, no, you've just reduced Loki to some pointless piece of paper like this bureaucracy I talked about. And I didn't like it. So I liked the parts of episode five where the two interesting Lokis were talking to each other. And that was one of the best parts of the whole series. But it's perversely put in this soup of pointless Lokis that just did nothing for me and undermined the good Lokis. So I both hated and loved episode five. I have to be specific about which parts. I think thematically, though, those additional Lokis tied in quite nicely because they had all achieved bits and pieces of the full potential of the Loki as a concept. And through meeting them and seeing how they've survived and seeing how they've overcome odds, Loki then realises that he can do the same thing and he can get out of where he is. So it's an important step forward for him, but I agree with you that they're too broadly drawn to be interesting by themselves. Yeah, they only managed to give us the, I don't know the name of the the kid, Loki and Richard E. Grant. There's the only two that were worth seeing. Everybody else was just lost. 
they were just more Easter eggs, weren't they? President Loki is just because in the comics, Loki became president around Donald Trump's time. Yeah, I will lie to you being his campaign slogan and all that. Yeah, stuff. it's yeah. just more Easter eggs. Yeah. And I love Silly, so I had a great time. I'm back on the right side of the fence, ladies and gentlemen. I know where I am now. <laughs> We don't need to prune him now. He's gotten rid of his Nexus event. So now we have a multiverse confirmed. We don't know how it's going to play out, but there are some concerns, and there always are when you have a multiverse situation. The actual premise of the show is that very thing. You can kill off a character, and then you can bring them back as essentially the same person from another universe, which is what this show is about, basically. That's what our lead character is. How they'll get around that in the future of the MCU is up in the air. What's to stop us getting Tony Stark back, other than Robert Downey Jr. won't accept the truckloads of money that they'd be willing to pay him to reprise the role? But what's to stop that from happening? How is death going to mean something in this universe anymore based on that potential? Because you can always ask that question. Why don't we just go and scoop him from another universe or her, whoever it is? Yeah, I'm really worried about that because it does undermine the value of everything. One of the strange things about Loki is that is another thing that I really don't like. And yet this show has done it. And I really liked Loki. It's really strange, this whole variant thing has really pushed me into a different place which is actually one of the reasons i really really liked this show for reasons i can't explain it broke all the rules that i hate being broken and i still liked it it's the tom hiddleston he's just too charming that's what it is the thing i think it's what isaac said it works for loki but if you start doing it with all these other characters if you even do it more than once it will lose its power. So I really hope they don't do anything like that and they confine it to what-ifs, which, of course, they've already said. It's next. To me, the fun of the multiverse is what they may or may not be doing in Spider-Man. Nothing's been confirmed yet, but it lets us just have current version of character interact with prior defunct version of character. That's a fun possibility. And Aaron, particularly when you used to watch the DC shows, they used to have a lot of fun with the multiverse and the Flash because they wouldn't necessarily just, let's replace this person with their multiverse doppelganger from Earth, whatever number it is. It's about the, how about an alternate history where you have a different Flash? How about an alternate history where you have different Spider-Man? So this is where we have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, potentially. Their continuities now mean something and can be played with. Mm. And that's the fun of it. But we're not going to be replacing Tom Holland with... Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire, are we? They've actually got different actors to play it. That is something. Yeah, they've already made it. They can't just replace one with the other. Is there not a character in Star Trek that actually died but was replaced by a creation of him, so it was fine? And I was just going... No, several. He's dead. He's really dead. It happens to Harry Kim in season one of Voyager. No, season two of Voyager. It knocks me completely. One person gets sucked out of space and then he's replaced with a duplicate. In fact, getting way off topic here, but Deep Space Nine... Chief O'Brien, in the episode three, jumping forward and back in time. It's not the original one that ends the episode. Yeah, shouldn't have mentioned Star Trek, I guess. But yes, that stuff, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, so the potential to, let's just get another Steve Rogers. Let's just get another Tony Stark. Let's get another whatever. In fact, let's get the younger Tony Stark and cast him with a different actor. But it's okay because he's a teenager, because we did that in the comics. And there's all that stuff you can do. But I think if they just lean into having fun with it and doing the Spider-Man thing, for example then it will be okay? I hope so. I think it'll be fun to do weird Doctor Strange stuff. I'm not looking forward to Spider-Man. I don't care about the old movies. I think it's no. just weird pandering. I don't like <laughs> it. You remember that Doc Ock, and you remember Dubstep Electro, and you remember all of this. <laughs> 
now they're doing the same in DC with the Flash movie. And it's like, oh, look, it's Tim Burton ones. I'm like, I don't care. That's really old and different. And I want a new thing. But as a one-off, those can be fun, though, just to revisit them. It's weird, especially with this Spider-Man, because he's gone from, he stopped a robbery, then he went to like, a bit bigger. There was, uh, what's he called? Not Mephisto. What's he called? The bubblehead Mysterio. Let's not bring Mephisto into this. <laughs> he was going to tumble through like, parallel dimensions for a bit. The best parts of the Spider-Man movies, <laughs> teenage romances and the awkwardness. Now it's like, I was just spiraling through infinite versions of New York. That's a weird turn. But yeah, anyway, multiverses can be a dangerous thing. It is if they just use it as a crutch and that nothing means anything anymore. Yeah, I don't think they're going to use it too much as a crutch. I think it'll be very difficult. It'll be one of these cases where it's like three characters can move between it. Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, Magical Villains. Spider-Man for some reason. (laughs) Spider-Man for some reason. So he can leave the MCU and join the Venom universe and then stay there. It's not going to be the next Guardians movie. I don't think Star Wars is going to drop his gun and then just like reach into another universe where he has loads of guns and just take one of his guns. <laughs> yeah, it'd be only very powerful slash time sensitive characters can wield this. So I think it should be okay. It's for a bit of fun. They'll do some nostalgia stuff with it and then they'll probably like kill Kang and seal it back off again. Yeah, so it all back up in the end and then that'll be the end of it. You know, that's the plot of Ant-Man 3, don't you? Where he just reaches into other universe to grab what he needs to assemble the device that he wants. <laughs> Definitely going to be there. That's the plot to Ant-Man 2, what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen that yet. Oh, well. It's all right. It's not good. I thought it was all right, but yeah, it's, mm. it's not great, but it's, it's all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ringing endorsement here but i don't know how it's going to play out we don't even know that we're getting the spider-man's greatest team-up film i'm pretty sure toby Maguire, after Probably. All the arranging his contract that they kept talking about and it went on for months he's pretty much just going to come in order a coffee and go that's it <laughs> you know all those the jokes on the internet the memes what i had to do to get a cameo or this that and the other that's totally going to be meme becoming life i'm pretty sure <laughs> I would really love it if the next Spider-Man movie is like really down to earth and there's no weirdness in it. <laughs> Everyone's been speculating for like a year. Oh my God, we're going to get like all the Spider-Man. And actually Alfred Molina is just playing a goof. He's playing the lawyer that, that's prosecuting him. He's playing the mechanical arms salesman <laughs> that just so happens to be in a bank when a standard human robber robs it and Spider-Man stops it. And he's like, just another day being neighbourhood Spider-Man. Now I'm going to have a taco. And then everyone just screams in the theatre. Who's the villain? It's just some dude. They've released the picture of his magic suit, though, with the runes on it and stuff. So it seems pretty certain that something's happening here. And Doctor Strange is going to be in it, of course, because you can't have a Spider-Man movie without him having another father figure to give him a costume. Well, if there's a scene where Doctor Strange is like, I made you a magical suit, and Spider-Man's like, nah. And it's like, okay, fine. I'll wear it for the trailer, and then I'm going to go back to... My old stuff. He puts it on when he has to go visit Doctor Strange because he's like, well, he did make me this suit, so I have to wear it. <laughs> and he puts the suit on, and then he just immediately just puts it in his bag. And <laughs> it's like, okay, bye, Doctor Strange. Thanks for checking in on me. Back into my normal gear. It's pretty certain it is going to be that. This is turning into a Spider-Man addendum. But if it does end up being that Tom Holland's Spider-Man started out as being Tony Stark's pet project, and now he's just traveling the multiverse in the space of like four years five years his mate's like oh have you gone to your science home because like no i had to like climb for a universe made of dinosaurs and jelly <laughs> mj's gonna be waiting for you at the cinema i'm 60,000 years old <laughs> time is nothing to me i went to a universe where i'm a pig for some reason oh don't i've seen everything i've seen every possible outcome <laughs> teenage life is nothing to me now yeah so it seems like the big 
speculation is around Spider-Man for this multiverse tomfoolery, let's call it that. And it would be the first place that we see evidence of it, probably because it's the next film out that will cover it. Unless the Eternals mentions it. And we were wondering, why doesn't Thanos shake the Eternals out of apathy? Maybe it is the breaking of the multiverse that does that for them. The Eternals are supposed to be out last year, so God knows. But I am concerned about the multiverse in the way that what I was talking about, the let's just resurrect everybody, maybe with different actors. I don't know. That is the concern. But on that note, we should wrap things up. So, Aaron, why don't you give us your concluding thoughts and if there was anything that you wanted to cover that we didn't. I managed to crowbar all the things in I wanted to say, I think. So I'll I'll actually just end on where I started. Loki broke all the rules, but I normally hate to see broken, and yet I still liked it. And I'm still not quite sure why. I found myself in this other frame of mind, and it got me there, and I'm kind of happy about that. It's the pandemic that's messed with you. It could be. I think it's one of those ones where I might actually have to do a rewatch pretty soonish afterwards and see where I go. But yeah, I liked it for the reasons described. Cool. And Isaac, your concluding thoughts and if there was anything you wanted to cover that we did. Loki's really raised the bar. What Marvel are capable of and what we can sort of expect from them. Only things I can think that we haven't done is where we'd like it to go or what we'd like to see. Like I said, more weird Lokis, more weird pops through. I love the going to Pompeii or that weird moon. Keep up the weird cosmic stuff. This is a great opportunity to bring in a load of just one-off. The Pompeii bit was great. That was proper mischief. Yeah, bring in a lot of mischief. It's a great opportunity for Marvel to just bring in guest star cameos. Cameo Central, this show. Mm. Like you can literally get anyone. I think... Series two will just be the same, but bigger. It'll just be like, we've set up the world, and now the next one will just be, what weird things can we go to? So I think that's what I'm looking forward to. Like, well, that's what I hope to see, slash look forward to. But Loki is top tier. This is the best Marvel stuff. I want to see more cosmic, more weird. There it is. My concluding thoughts are, I did like the show. I liked it a lot. I love the character work. I found that to be really satisfying for the most part. The Loki-Sylvie dynamic was great. Owen Wilson didn't annoy me. And that's amazing because he usually does. Most of the things I've seen him in, he just bugs me. So unless he didn't, and I don't know why really, because he didn't really do anything that stepped outside of his comfort zone too much. He was just this affable weirdo, but I enjoyed him. I think it was how he bounced off Tom Hiddleston that made it stand out more. We got Wes Anderson, Owen Wilson, as opposed to funny goofball Owen Wilson. Yeah. Although he was a bit funny goof in some ways. Yeah. So there's that. And I enjoyed the show had my issues with it, had my issues with the ending. I'm not quite sure how I feel about where it's going, but I enjoyed it. And I do look forward to seeing more. Tom Hiddleston's always great value in this role. So I'm glad that he gets to continue, despite the notable handicap of being killed off in one of the films. So that's something to celebrate, I suppose. There we go. So that was our discussion of Loki Season 1. I would like to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music that is epically playing me out right now. Isaac, I would like to thank you for the artwork. You're here and can be thanked directly. Nice. It was probably a pleasure. We didn't mention Ms. Minutes. She was cool. Miss Minutes, the animated oh, yeah. AI, she was cool. That's all I have to say about her. I liked her. And Isaac, thank you for being here as well. It's much appreciated. Yeah, no worries. Aaron, thanks also for being here and for compromising your usual stance on everything. Sure. Probably not. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, thank you. Lovely. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any major podcasting app. If you're on Apple, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. Five is our favourite number, but give us whatever you want, as long as you give us something. If you want to talk about Loki Season 1, Marvel, anything else... You can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you can leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we all hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.